everybody. It is indeed a glorious time to be free right here on the Everybody Trades Podcast. You know why I'm in a chipper mood today? Because I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit. If you've noticed that what I've been doing, or for better yet, what I haven't been doing at everybodytrades.com, this has been a volatile news period to say the least. Manafort, Cohen, Trade Wars, the whole deal. If all you did was watch CNN every day, you'd think the world was coming to an end on a regular basis. But during these times of tumult, I've found it's best to stay calm and watch, particularly when the stock market is selling off in tandem with the general panic. And indeed, once a bunch of panicky, weak holders all got out of their positions, we've now seen in the last few days this week, we've gotten better prices. The market's higher. Almost everything that was panicked down is now coming back a little bit. Certainly, it's now a better time to get out of whatever you might be a week holder in than it was last week, isn't it? Now, the exception to this is, of course, I closed out my Dropbox position. This is something I've gone into in depth on a previous episode, but I just wanted to emphasize once again that while I still am a fan of that company and its fundamentals, and I might get back to it at a lower level, but... For now, again, we are in a period of relative volatility here, and the way that stock was acting, and particularly after their growth, their paid subscriber growth, showed a bit of slowing in the last year, I just thought it was best to get out of that stock and move into something a little safer. Of course, what I did move into this week was NVIDIA. Now, I wouldn't exactly call that the safest stock in the market at the moment. In fact, I might even go as far to call that as a battleground stock and that there are some prominent analysts who are very much for NVIDIA and very much against it. Clearly, I'm for it, and I think this is a decent relative entry point here. I think they've got the best chip technology in the market. I really do. Whether you're Whether you're talking about video game chips or you're talking frankly, cryptocurrency, frankly, and also the more and more cars become automated, much less the driverless car, which seems to be the future. Not totally certain on that, but if I had to bet on it, I'd say, yeah, the driverless car is the future. But regardless, anybody who's bought a new vehicle or even just driven one in the past three, four years or so knows that each and every year, the car becomes more computerized more roboticized, if you will. Literally in my wife's Hyundai, the thing will break for you in traffic. It will maintain a proper distance if you just leave cruise control on. You're going 75 miles an hour, and it just keeps a perfect distance between you and the car in front of you. Think NVIDIA when you think of things like that. This computerization, this roboticiz- the roboticization of our economy, of our lives. Does anybody think that's going to slow down anytime soon? Yeah, me neither. So if you believe that, I think you might be do well to start in- investing in some NVIDIA. Now, of course, we're up 5%, 6% since, since I bought. So obviously I don't like it 
I like it about 5% less than I did a week ago, but again, everything's relative, and I still like NVIDIA here. I'm not trying to be confusing, just trying to make a point about value. Well, speaking of confusion and value, I'm a big fan of the HBO show Hard Knocks, which is follows it's a documentary style show that follows around an NFL team every year during training camp leading up to the to the regular season. One of the stars of the show so far has been a defensive lineman who was formerly from Penn State, a man named Tony Nasib. He's been sort of dubbed the financial guru of the show, and in the first episode, he was in a meeting with a lot of his fellow position men, and he was talking about using your time wisely, using your resources wisely. And mostly, he was talking about the magic of compound interest. Now, Mr. Nasib makes a lot of good points, but there was also an offensive lineman late in the third episode, well, actually it was the second episode, I believe, named Anthony Fabiano. And he pushes back against Tony Nasib a little bit. You'll hear his voice first in this clip, but let's work this out after we hear this clip. Isn't it 7% every 10 years, not 10% every 7 years? What? It's called the rule of 7. If you get 10% on your returns, you double it every 7 years. Fight Tony Robbins about it. He's my hero. If you get a 10%, like, if you find that, you gotta hang on to that for dear life. Yeah, that's how the rich people do it, bro. That doesn't even, like, exist anywhere, though. How do you talk? What are you talking about? Low yeah, cost, hedge fund low cost index that. fund, bro. 10% over the last 90 fucking years. 9.8% over the last who? 90 years. Who? What do you mean, who? Yeah. That was when the economy was fucking growing. For the last 90 years. Now, first of all, I'm not exactly sure what Mr. Nasib is referring to as far as the last 90 years. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't speak for him there. But I will say, of course, he is right. If you make 10% every year, don't take it out of an account and compound that interest, yeah, you'll double your money every year. His original point that he was making with his teammates was that, hey, if you're spending two hours a day on Instagram, that's that's time that you could be bettering yourself. That's what's wrong with spending too much time on Instagram, regardless of somebody was saying, hey, what's wrong with that? In other words, I'm being a peaceful guy. I'm not committing any crimes or whatever. Well, Tony's point is that you're, you're wasting your time. You're not getting better as a human being, and this is productive time that you could be using to get better. Where Fabiano makes a great point, though, is that 10% is far from any kind of guarantee. Certainly in this economy, you don't have anything approaching 10% in the bank account, and that was the point that Fabiano was trying to make. Even if you look at, this is something I haven't talked about enough, is, is the kind of dividends and the yield that you can get from stocks. You see, you can even take a company like British Petroleum, BP, an oil company that I've been taking a peek at here lately. Well, if you go to, if you want to follow along with this, you don't have to. It should, this is pretty simple. I'm not going to give you too many numbers, but if you'd like to follow along, hit pause real quick, get on your internet browser, and go to Yahoo Finance. Just search for Yahoo Finance. It should come up immediately. Or just go to yahoo.com, click finance at the very top. Once you do that, 
put BP in your search field and hit enter. Once it comes up, you'll see a few numbers, obviously, on this front page here. What you're going to want to want to focus on here is forward, dividend, and yield. You'll notice, as of this recording anyway, the forward dividend and yield, it says $2.46, and in parentheses, it says 5.8%. Now, here's what that means, essentially. That's just a simple division there. You have the forward dividend, $2.46. You just divide that by the current, the last quote of the stock, which was $42.98 in this case. So that's 5.8% of the current price. Now, again, this is forward dividend. What does that mean? It means that that's what they're promising that they're going to pay in the future. That's what they're saying they're going to pay in the future. Of course, here's the thing. They can either slash or get rid of that dividend at any time without any legal consequence. That doesn't tend to happen though, especially with a really with an old sort of big uh trustworthy large, you know, trustworthy as far as paying out dividends company like British Petroleum. But again, that dividend yield is as of today. Now the good news is if you're a British Petroleum owner in the last year it's gone from about $34 to as of this taping nearly $43 so clearly you've got a pretty sizable capital gain to go along with your nearly 6% dividend payment it was actually lower than that previously but you get the idea now here's the problem Let's say that company had lost money. Let's say it was the opposite. It had lost 20% of its value in a year in terms of its actual capital depreciation. Well, where are you then? Now you've received some dividends, the 5.8%, let's say, dividend payment for a year, but now you're down 20% on paper on your capital. So, yay, congratulations. Again, that shows the perils of these types of things. There is no guaranteed 10%. That's absolutely true. Now, there are people out there who absolutely can invest and make 10% in a year. I've done it before. Perhaps you can do it too. The point I'm trying to make is there is no free lunch. There is no such... Even government bonds can... can obviously change value they can obviously governments can and will go out of business there is no such thing as a safe investment and any advisor who tells you otherwise is a fool all right now let's shift from football to baseball shall we for those of you who are unaware baltimore orioles great adam jones recently vetoed a possible trade to the philadelphia phillies now, the interesting thing about this is Jones, is play, the Orioles, if you're not aware, are having an historically awful season. In fact, they're right on pace with the Kansas City Royals for the worst record in all of baseball. But instead of going to the first place Philadelphia Phillies in the National League East, Jones decided, you know what? I don't want to go there. The ringer's Mallory Rubin is a huge Baltimore Orioles fan, and Here's what she had to say about the people who are upset with Jones for this thing. 
look, I think he has a point when he says that players fought for the right to earn these contracts so that they could decide where they wanted to be. Yeah. Like, they're not things and objects. And I think we forget that every time trade season rolls around and just the nature of like capitalist thinking. Yeah locks into place in our minds and every player is just a cog in the wheel. It's just another piece on the board for some rich white guy to move. And I really respected the fact that he said, I'm good, actually. Like, I will get to make my decision in the offseason about how I want to spend my time and what I want to do with my life. And I decided that I was going to be here when I signed that six-year extension. And so I'm going to be here and no one can tell me otherwise. So I think Mallory makes some tremendous points there and I agree with most of what she said in fact I agree with the spirit of all of it I think in particular just the idea that we as people sort of commoditize people without sort of thinking of them as just that as actual people is something that is not only a little bit cold it's actually counterproductive in my opinion in other words, not only is it not healthy or productive for the person that you're sort of commoditizing, if you will, and not looking at as a person, it doesn't end up working out as well for you as it should either. There's this guy, Conrad Thompson, who I, I may or may not have brought up on this show before. He's actually one of my bigger influences. He's a 36-year-old guy who has a giant, successful mortgage company as his day job, and he's also built himself an enormous podcasting empire as well. But the point is, is Conrad, his philosophy, when he works with somebody, he says just that. If a person is literally his employee and he introduces them to somebody out at a restaurant or whatever... He will say that. He doesn't say, hey, this guy works for me. He says he works with me. Now, it's easy to just brush that off as a platitude, but really it actually is a more accurate assessment of the free association boss-employee relationship. See, in my opinion, especially the, the more wealthy all of us get, the more options we all have, bosses are not able to just browbeat their employees forever and expect them to stay to stay at work or even be as productive as they otherwise could be now getting back to adam jones and his situation mallory rubin and bill simmons got a little bit more into why baltimore fans and commentariats and people in the front office might be mad at adam jones well there's a contingent of people who say you're inhibiting their ability to finally rebuild like well, you were standing in the contract. way you were standing in the way of oh. them getting a return oh yeah and, oh the, the left-handed reliever they might have had yeah four years i mean exactly it's it's ridiculous and i totally agree that is a that is a ridiculous point now it's not ridiculous to say that maybe it would be better it would have been better for the orioles in the long term for jones to have said yeah i'll accept that trade and I'll go to Philadelphia, and who knows what the Orioles would have gotten in return there. The future will obviously tell us that, will obviously would have told that story. The point is, Adam Jones is under absolutely no obligation whatsoever to do what is good for the, for the Baltimore Orioles' future. Jones signed that contract, as Ruben pointed out, in order to have the sort of security that and leverage that he ultimately ended up exercising. 
obviously the union negotiated the 10 and 5 rights for a reason. They probably gave up something in order to get that. I don't see the owners complaining. Quite the opposite. The owners love when they get these young players on controlled costs for years and years before they get to salary arbitration and then hit free agency. So for them to complain or for anybody to complain, whether you're a fan or whoever, I don't hear these fans complaining about these young guys who are on relatively inexpensive contracts like a Juan Soto or a Ronald Acuna type player. I I don't hear them whining about, gosh, these guys aren't getting paid enough and it's so bad that they didn't get a chance to play literally wherever they want, whenever they want. I, I don't see those same type of arguments. But suddenly when a player decides he wants to exercise his contractual rights, I just don't think that's a good look for people to say, hey, you can't do that. The one just ever so slight critique or clarification that I would have with something that Mallory said was about just saying it's a capitalistic instinct. Perhaps it is. You know, I I won't sit here and tell you that free trade, a.k.a. business, particularly at this level, particularly you've got a bunch of billionaires who own Major League Baseball teams. By their nature, all these people are going to be competitive for the most part, and they're entering the most competitive realm that there is. So this idea that it's going to be a cold-hearted, cutthroat endeavor is absolutely true. And unfortunately, that's reality. That's really more of a criticism of what human beings are like than the nature of free trade or capitalism. Think about dating. Is there anything more brutal or cutthroat than the dating world? Come on, think back. I know I'm an old married guy now, but surely some of you are still single in this audience. Isn't dating the most brutal thing in the world? Now, it can be the greatest thing in the world, too. It can be the most rewarding thing in the world as well, just like business. Listen, if you own a dance studio, somebody can open one up next door tomorrow. Keep that in mind. It's not a kid's game out here, people. But if capitalism can be brutal and dehumanizing, and sometimes it can be. Sometimes people can be commoditized especially if they're unseen and outside of our inner circle. But again, what's the opposite of free trade? What's the opposite of free association? What's the opposite of capitalism? Non-free association, socialism, all of these things, in fact, make the world less wealthy. And they make the world even more dehumanized. You see, when you throw everybody into one forced collective and you get rid of the individual that's about as that's about as dehumanizing as it gets to me when you throw the individual out in favor of some forced collective where is the individualism where is the humanity in that where is the humanity in a central authority deciding where you live where you work what to eat etc 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 you see to me and i hate to say this but 
capitalism and free trade are always going to be as, as imperfect as we are as human beings. That's never going to change. For instance, here's one of my biggest complaints in capitalism. Just before we get out of here real quick. Have you noticed, even if, of course, airlines are by far the biggest culprit of this. Let's say you're trying to change flights at the last minute. Maybe your flight's been canceled and you're like, hey, I need to get to Baltimore regardless. Well, here's what happens inevitably. Oh, sure. Here's what we'll, we'll just uh, pull that up for you really quick. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, where are you, where did you want to go again? What time? Okay. Yeah. Let's see here. We've got that, 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 that. And they just type and type and type and type and type. See, I'm not buying into all this typing. See, I think this is a psych out. I think people are psyching us out with the typing. Yes, you Subway sandwich artist. I'm not buying that you need to type 8 million clicks in order to check out my turkey sandwich. I'm just not buying it. The mustard edition should not be that mind-blowing. Why, yes, I do want a chocolate chip cookie. Oh, is that going to take 85 different keystrokes too? People. We have lost our minds here. I just, I'm so confused by the typing. Somebody help me out here. What is up with the typing? (laughs) Okay, enough with my rantings. You've heard enough from me today. It's been another great episode. For me, anyway. I hope it was good for you, too. Right here on the Everybody Trades Podcast.